Well, I think we'd all agree that there's no more dysfunctional area of our business than our retail space, and that's because we view it in isolation. Our guest today, Hilary Kahn, with her 30 years of pharmacy experience, will show us why we should be looking at it as a whole pharmacy, whole solution, and how we can utilize this fantastic data that we have that tells us what our customers want and which customers we have so we can design a remarkable customized experience. I know you're going to love it. Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day everyone and welcome back to Transformation, the only dedicated podcast in the world where pharmacy and technology collide to bring you, the motivated pharmacy owner, all that you need to build your smarter, more successful 21st century business before it's too late. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on this fantastic journey of ours, all the way through to episode 75. Big show today. We've got time for a quick check-in with you. We're going to review last week's masterclass very briefly and also announce next masterclass coming up in September. Very, very exciting. We've got a fantastic interview with Hilary Khan, as you would have heard in the introduction, where we're going to tackle those often difficult tasks of customizing our merchandise to suit our community. We've got access to the data and insights, as we've spoken about on the show, so there really has never been a better time to cut away all that dead stock in categories as Hillary is so passionate about. And I dare say it's infectious. It's rubbed off on me today as well, even more than normal. So how's your week been? Has it been a good one? Hopefully it has been. My week has been an absolute big one. Uh, it's been a very, very busy in terms of Following conferences even via Twitter, I have followed PSA 15 uh, on the weekend and actually this week's quote of the week will come from the event as well. I've been scheduling some unbelievable interviews for you and the show in the next few weeks, some of which have been born out of questions that you've sent through via Twitter around your biggest pharmacy and technology challenges. So keep those questions coming through. They are shaping and growing this show like you'd never believe. So you're really going to enjoy these interviews coming up. Fair bit of my time this week was on the road visiting colleagues like you and got to catch up on a few podcasts, obviously other than this one, and some audio books as well, but a little more on that later. And of course, we had our Transformation Masterclass last Friday with Jeff Green, where Jeff taught 85 motivated pharmacy owners just like you from six states around Australia how they could start planning their smart business exits. If you attended, I hope you enjoyed the experience. It was one of the most interactive masterclasses we've had. And obviously, it's such an elephant in the room topic which doesn't often get addressed. So really great to get a lot of interactivity and a lot of hard questions that Jeff had to answer as well. I know he loved it too. If you're worrying about where the replay is, it's just been a little delayed, but it will be with you over this weekend, if not early next week. But if you missed out last Friday and you're thinking, sorry, I couldn't believe I missed out on that registration link, don't worry, we've got an extra email coming out from me to you in the next week, whereby popular demand, Jeff and I have agreed to offer you the chance to grab the Masterclass replay, but it will be limited only for seven days when the email is sent. Now, if in case you're wondering, we've run four masterclasses now, and you might be wondering, where do they all live? How can I access them if I've only just come across this now? So they will be available to the transformation community, and, that, and that's something that has been yet to be launched, and I'll tell you a little bit about that in just a moment. But before we move away from masterclasses, I'm proud to announce our next lunchtime masterclass is on Friday the 4th of September with today's guest, Hilary Khan, where she will spend a dedicated hour teaching you how to build and implement a customized specialized category for your pharmacy. Absolutely fantastic and it really does give you the extra elements of the how-to that will come out of this webinar. This Sorry, webinar. It's a podcast today. <laughs> Absolutely. A little bit confused. Registrations are now open at robertstar.com forward slash category builder webinar. 
Quick update, I know I mentioned that the audiobook and community would be coming soon in May 2015. And of course, we're in August now. So you might be thinking, well, where is it? But unfortunately, I've had to park these smaller projects. Now, you might be thinking they're not small things, and they're not. But in comparison to the big project that I have been working on, and believe me, it is going to benefit all of you in a really, really big way. Don't worry if you've pre-ordered or if you've received access to either product through a different program that we've been sending out this year, I've got something extra special for you to make up for the delay when they're released. So I'm still hoping that'll happen later this year. But in terms of the bigger project, I can't give you any more details just at the moment, but I do promise you this, that you'll be the first to know all the details when it does come out as well. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. So for you, the listeners of The Transformation Show, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I'm listening to, well, actually revisiting Life in Half a Second by Matthew Michaelwitz at the moment, which you could download or another audiobook for free by trying audible.com. To download your free audiobook today, after this show, of course, Go to audibletrial.com forward slash transformation. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash transformation for your free audio book. Now, I wanted to share with you why I actually decided to revisit Life in Half a Second this week. Following a couple of meetings with colleagues this week and really in the flow of discussing the opportunities in their businesses, I picked up one really key theme and it didn't relate to the opportunities, it related more to how we're feeling at the moment. And that's just really overwhelmed and powerless and not knowing or in some cases having the motivation to just even take the first steps towards a small goal, not only from a personal nature but in the pharmacy as well. We've all got large ambitions or at least you should have large ambitions of doing great stuff in your pharmacy. And it's often sometimes the sheer size of the goal that makes the idea of achieving the goal simply impossible. But Matthew's book is the most practical and simple book I've read and heard, obviously via an audio book, to do two things. One, shake you out of inaction and reignite your passion to succeed. And two, teach you the importance of goals and help you really break them down and map your road to success. I know personally that I would not been able to achieve many of my goals or any of them that I've set in the last 12 months, which included things like publishing transformation, this podcast, the transformation magazine, or even a 16K run that I did earlier this year without applying the principles that he teaches in life in half a second. And just remember, you know, we're all human. It's okay to feel overwhelmed at the moment in the midst of what's going on around us, so much change, sometimes uncertainty, and obviously there's been a little bit less now that the six CPA has been signed, but it's summoning the courage to take that first baby step forward and filling your mind with new opportunities, positivity that will make your future a bright and successful one. Anyway, that's pretty heavy, so we'll, we'll, we'll move on. On to our interview today with Hillary. And as you'll notice early on, particularly as she'll refer to me as Robbie, as I was better known in my teenage years, Hillary and I have known each other for a long time. And as you'll probably agree by the end of this interview, few can match her passion. Our interview today is with Hilary Khan. She's a pharmacy retail expert with over 30 years of experience in training and consulting. She's an honorary member of the Ebeltoff Group and affectionately known as the Queen of the Average Sale. And Hilary wants to be known for being the person that you call when you're disappointed in your figures as she has the ability to sift through the clutter and see the issues really affecting your customers. Hilary Khan, welcome to the Transformation Show. Thank you, Rob. Oh, well, great to have you on, Hilary. And I know that our listeners are going to be very spoilt by your wealth of retail expertise, not just in pharmacy, but also in all sorts of retailers right around Australia and around the world. And, uh, you know, certainly a lot of our listeners may be thinking, you know, talking a lot about retail, where does that fit in, particularly when we talk so much about technology? But I guess we focus so much on how it can create more efficiency and time with our customers and how we can get all this fantastic data insights to better understand our needs but at the end of the day we need to deliver something magical to them in store as well 
Well, Robbie, I'm glad you said that because the latest research from uh, uh, from the Australian Centre of Retail Studies and also from around the world points to the fact that the, the store is still king. It's still the key touch point. And in many environments, obviously there's some retail environments where they don't have a physical store at all, but even the great big brands, you look like at Apple um, uh, or, or, or Samsung, the, the big brands are now building their own stores because of the opportunity that gives to develop the huge customer experience touch points and bind themselves to the customers and have them constantly visiting if they can. Yeah. So you're right. You're right. Oh, I think we're a bit guilty on this show of probably plugging Apple a little too much. I think our listeners probably think I have shares in them, but uh, it's just such a simplified environment that uh, you know it's pleasurable to go to. You're very helpful, um, and certainly as the uh, statistics show, the uh, highest gross profit dollar per square meter in the world, which wouldn't be the obvious thing that you draw as a conclusion from the, uh, I guess, the sparseness of stock that you see, which is uh, very different to a lot of our stores. Well, it's it's not just the highest, it's four times higher than the second best, uh, I heard. But the important point about Apple, there's so many good lessons um, to learn about Apple. Uh, one of the best lessons uh, really comes from the Genius Bar. The, the, the back story about the Genius Bar is that uh, Steve Jobs or Ron Johnson, who was then the... Um, the managing director at the time, said, you know, Steve, when customers come in, and I, I think they were talking about the viability of the store, when customers come in and they speak to one of our people, they must seem to them to be like geniuses. Wouldn't be a good idea if we created a genius bar. So, because by contrast, when they went to a major retailer, a general retailer in terms of electronics, um, the, the staff don't often know. And and anyway, um, they formed the genius bar. At first, Jobs didn't like the idea, but within an hour, he'd registered the name. And everybody knows the Genius Bar is actually now the heart of it. The interesting point that for me with pharmacy that occurred is that on one of his normal trips around the stores, Johnson uh, arrived at an Apple and there was no G. He said, where's the genius to the store manager? And they have a, a different name, a specialist or team leader. Said, where is, where is he? So the manager said, well, we haven't been, it hasn't really been working very well. So I decided to save on salaries, so I let him go. To which Johnson said, in which case, because you so much lack resilience and patience, I'm going to let you go. Mm. And that is, a, it took three years, three years for the Genius Bar to take hold, which is a perfect entry into pharmacy for me because when pharmacy comes up with a great new idea, it, it assesses it within a week or two weeks or four weeks or six months at best and says not working. Um, we're going to get rid of it. So it's this instant, immediate gratification, not recognising that customers need time. And learning, uh, re retailing is the educator of the customers. When they have never been used to doing something in a certain way, you've got to give them time to do it. So you've just got to bolster uh, your efforts around and become more patient and more resilient. And if I'm to look back on the 30-plus years in pharmacy, I would say that is the single biggest weakness of all owners. I'm not talking about you, Rob. <laughs> That's okay. No, 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 no offence. But I think everybody should know you and my pharmacist had a really good one and, and, and owned my local pharmacy for many years. Um, but again, you know, the, the inability to take the concept and really drive it hard until the point is raised, 
every customer in my community understands this, knows that I've worked with a network of other specialists, and yet it still doesn't go. Only then can you say that. But you can't throw some stock into a store. Um, I've, one of the categories I've just done is called superfoods, not a health category, but it's a it's a trend category. And I was talking to somebody who should know better, said, oh, we did all the training of the staff. We put it in the stores, not really selling. I said, well, why would it? Uh, did your customers know you had it? Uh, did your naturopaths get involved? Uh, did you have events that supported it? Did you have information within the category that helped customers know that you had something new? So this whole combination of patience and resilience for me is the most important lesson from Apple. Yeah, and, and look, I Sorry think... Sorry about I, such long No, no, not a problem. And I, like, I guess the impatience that we often see in Australian pharmacies, just as, as an example, um, is really probably a, a factor of the conditions that we, we trade under at the moment in that as much that so much change has become upon us in the last 15 years where almost every solution that we need to implement in our pharmacies needs to succeed, not just from a point of view of getting a single return on investment, but also from the viability of the business. So I've got no doubt that a lot of our colleagues probably look at, you know, some of the solutions, particularly when we all go up onto the Gold Coast in, in March every year, as what's going to be that killer thing that I can do in my business that's going to completely change the face of it and turn my profitability around. And I guess the, the patient's journey of, of committing to a strategy like that um, is always going to have, you know, those two categories of people, those that really believe in it and, and see the sustainable aspect of it and those that, um, that don't. But I, I guess it more or less also is a factor of that we can't be everything to everyone anymore and uh, we've lost a lot of product exclusivity that we just don't have anymore and we just simply don't have that operational and supply chain efficiency to be the cheapest. Uh, we all know that... that that is dominated by uh, a lot of discount pharmacies in Australia. So, I guess in in bringing that into relevance, um, you know, what what do you believe? You know, I guess from the, even the observations that you've seen from other retailers, um, that you know, positions where pharmacies should be, and why should they be customising that merchandise offer? First, I want to take some point at your question, if I may. Mm. You said. Um, we go up to the Gold Coast looking for that killer thing hmm. and we want it to succeed. And to me, when you say the killer thing, it's the new product idea. It's the new weight concept that's going to blow away the $3 million a year story. It's actually never going to be a thing. I mean, the story about the Apple Genius Bar is not a thing. It's a philosophy. It's a positioning strategy. There is a killer thought that exists for pharmacy now uh, that nobody gets, and that is you don't have two stores. I mean, pharmacy de deci uh, decides itself based on two parts of the business. One is called the dispensary and the second is called the front of the store. Now, I think that's the biggest load. That's my biggest load of nonsense I think that I've ever heard because... The, the real stock assortment, the real value of the, of the killer thing would be when you've identified your market and the script segments and so say, for example, let's be specific, let's say a large part of our business is based on anti-inflammatories, we've got an ageing market, uh, we've got a lot of osteoarthritis in the community. Well, that's when you say these people need more assistance than the tablet because the single tablet can never fix them. So now what do they want to need? How do we deliver that? How can I get them to come and re-come and come back? So you might find that your analgesics, instead of being um, in three bays, 
maybe in four bays plus a lot of information plus a lot of clinical devices, specialists, visiting physios, visiting occupational therapists, um, uh, podiatrists who are offering services beyond you. So for me, the killer thought is in recognizing that you don't have two businesses. You've got one business because when I started looking at pharmacy some 30 plus 40 years ago, possibly before you were born, um, Rob, um, they had two keys. They had two keys on the point of sale. They were called dispensary and others. And the idea was the dispensary was a huge profit uh, and and turnover receptacle, the gold mine. And let's most of the space was allocated to what I called alien merchandise, what could sell, yeah. what might, a bit like your peacocks. Yeah. yeah. I remember, I, I, I'm not going to embarrass Rob <laughs> too much, but Rob had these peacocks in his store. And um, I think, what did you say was the next to them, Rob? Oh, look, I think to give some context for our listeners yes. as well, um, this is this is probably highlighting, I guess, the dysfunction of retail in that often it's what we don't understand is retail and what we do understand is dispensary and the two didn't get, get connected. And I guess for so long in pharmacies, you could have things in your retail, just like you, you said, of things that you could sell, you could try to sell, but it really never made a difference if you did. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners will have a little chuckle in the fact that they may have had retail managers in the past that have been to gift fairs and get a little carried away and in this case uh, identified uh, brass peacocks and uh, I think it was a high sugar chocolate plum pudding sauce that went next to it, Um, (laughs) both of which never sold. Uh, They had to be thrown out because they didn't sell and, you know, quite rightly didn't connect with the health destination concept we were looking to create. And the point really of the peacock story is that in my language that becomes a contaminant because that says, and, 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 and for me being controversial, so does the soap powder and the detergent and the pet food, um, that says these people are not credible health destinations. Yes, you. so the, the, big, the big issue is to say, how much can we generate in both customers' turnover and profit by doing our health destinations well? And if we did do them well, would that compensate for the $7,000 a year loss that I'm going to take by not having any Ajax on the shelves? Yeah. Now, you know, the point about the Ajax in the front door is that if you walked into to Apple, and we'll talk about it, you'll never see Anything that is not Apple anywhere in there, it's pure Apple. I mean, it's absolutely focused. Um, One of the uh, big, uh, it's one of the the big electronic retailers has now gone so overboard with things it wants to sell to compensate for the loss of sales. I'm I'm not sure that I I should mention them, Mm. but they're two letters and they've got a hi-fi after them, (laughs) Um, is that I'm worried that, and they have been one of my clients, I am worried that they are becoming a turn-off for customers to walk into. So you've got to really be careful not only about whether it sells, but my primary issue would be, Will it get me more customers and will it keep them? Uh, So you've got to change the question a bit because if you get and keep more customers, one can only assume they are buying more from you. Yeah. Yeah. Therefore, you will make the turnover. Yeah, look, absolutely, and you certainly don't see any uh, customers walking into the great wall of toilet paper when they walk into Apple stores and very razor-sharp focused stores, and there's a very clear purpose um, of that store um, when when you do that. And I know there was a store we were we were talking about even before we uh, decided we were going to chat on the show, um, and I visited only a few weeks ago in uh, Broadway in Sydney, and yeah. the, the very clear focus that you could notice of that store was that they had a desk uh, out the front 
identifying that they were doing blood glucose tests and that they're specialised in diabetes, which is a very rare thing, I must say, amongst our colleagues, where you actually lead with a primary service and a positioning statement when you walk into that store. And uh, certainly you've got a very clear feel about what they wanted to be known for. Well, no, that particular that particular store, um, I'm just that particular store had an exercise around loyalty, uh, where they were offering services. So there was not just blood glucose; they do an awful lot of work in sleep apnea. So there were a whole lot of um, a lot of tests, and I don't know whether what the number was, but I think they gave three hundred tests in a matter of two weeks. Mm. Now, that's breathtaking. How uh, a business like that, and, and it's important to understand that that business had taken over one only a few months before that had fallen by the wayside. So it, it's that focus, it's that drive, it's that determination to stick to their knitting and to do more. They've got a, a situation now where they are getting the pharmacy students from the university, which is not far away, oh. um, who are coming and helping doing the tests, etc. So they've built a, a really driven um a driven market. Um, I must get you to talk to them. At the yeah. Time. So I guess it's part of the uh, transformation of the pharmacist role at the moment where we're seeing that transaction economy die and that it's not just about the supply and distribution of medicines. It's about what we can actually do to harness not only what we know very well about in terms of that clinical knowledge and utilising all of the data that we see in, in coming into our store and what our customers bring in to impart wisdom on our our customers and realistically where businesses aren't I guess connecting those services and products together into a meaningful solution um, the pharmacist role is going to certainly uh, go by the wayside in the supply chain um, if people don't change. Well you, you, you what a great point I mean uh, you, you opened with saying I guess the transaction economy has died well that is what's killed pharmacy has been the transaction economy. It um, pharmacists have always had the knowledge; um, they've been happy to give a pill and take money for it. The minute you focus on product, and you will go to price. So it only needed um, somebody who was smart, looking on and looking at the lack of quality of the experience the customers were getting nothing more than transactions, to know that this pharmacy is ripe to pick off. So pharmacists always had the knowledge, um, but they only ever used it, in my view, when they were asked a question, as opposed to taking a proactive view, getting really focused on on particular clinical conditions and being prepared to share that with whoever was coming in uh, for that category. The problem is that in um, so many pharmacies, the pharmacist is is completing about 28 transactions per hour. So that leaves only two minutes. So the question is, well, what do I talk about? Because I can't talk about a lot in two minutes, which is why I say uh, learn, learn to tell the story. I mean, when we wait to uh, get a question from a customer, how does a customer know what question to ask? I remember um, I remember Rob um, uh, something close to home for you where um, I've got a slight tremor in my hands and I've got a, a tablet called Inderol and I'd never had it before and uh, somebody said what would you like to know? Well how can I answer the question? Yeah. Sorry, that's okay. Um, I couldn't even, I couldn't even answer the question. So, the 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 approach with the customer has got to move from a responsive. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be responsive. To a, let me tell you a story about this is what I know. Most of the time, you're going to have this problem. You're going to have dryness. So I want you to put drops in your eyes every day. I want you to put these drops, this gel. Uh, your skin will get dry. Um, 
this moisturiser works very well. Um, you might get psoriasis. Be very careful of that. Now, if I learn to tell that story, now I'm using a very personal story. Yeah. If I learned to tell that story, that only took 20 seconds and there were five products sold and you're helping me. And I walk out of there saying, what a good pharmacist this Rob is. Yeah. Yeah, no, look, it, it really is clear in the philosophy of how we go about it. And, you know, we talk so much about how the technology can be utilised to leverage our logistics away from things that really matter, the conversations that really matter with our customers. But I guess in a broader sense for our listeners who are thinking now, okay, this is interesting. What could I, what could I do in my pharmacy around this? You know, what would your advice be around looking to decide what offer they should be creating for their community? Clearly, there's lots of tools to give them data insights, loyalty systems that can segment their customers. But I guess where would you start in, I guess, getting them to discover where their offer should be? Yeah, I, I was hoping you'd ask me that question because I've thought about it a, a fair bit. I think there are a number of key points. Um, uh, the first is that you never compromise the offer on the most important staples like analgesia. Um, that's that's very important. There are there are three categories of of of, of 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 offer. You've got what I call hero and have called signature categories, which are the things your dispensary is one of them, the things that you want to stand for. You would only have two or three of those. Then you've got a level of priority offers, which are the things that most pharmacists have, first aid, wound care, um, they've got that. And then you've got others. That's where the peacocks and the others. So when you look at your space, you look first at dominating it with the two or three. I'm just talking about the philosophy, yeah. two or three. Not compromising your priority categories, but ensuring that the space your, your hero categories need, they get lots of space to shop, lots of information. So you, you've got to understand that point. So the, the big challenge for for pharmacists is to be prepared to say, but I won't have space for, yeah. you know, to deal with that question, but I won't have space for the single uh, 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 standard of sunglasses. Yeah. I won't have sta uh, room for the one brand of cosmetics. I won't have space for the peacocks. I won't have space for the uh, bits and pieces. Yeah. So be it. The deodorant, so be it. There's a in your case, there was a supermarket next door. You would rather they came to you for what they really need and couldn't get at the discount in terms of the quality of service than worried to come to you about the mum that you that you make have. So it's dealing with that first. I am prepared to live without it, notwithstanding the fact that I've got generations of history of holding that stock. Mm. The second uh, key element is to look at your script. Look at your market, obviously. Are they older? Are they younger? Who are they? So know who you've got in the, in the store but also in the community who you can attract. And there, obviously you will have had people talking and you have had people talking on your show that talk about understanding your target market. So there's looking at your customers. I won't spend time in their space, but the real gold is in your own dispensary count. Yeah. So have a look at it. For me, I would steer a clear, even though stress is a major uh, concern and has been a major initiative of the pharmacy guilds and societies. I don't know how easily customers are prepared to... Um, say to a pharmacist, I'm allowing you to ask me why I'm taking lithium or uh, what's created the problem. I, I, I don't think it's a comfortable area. That, that I'm, not, I'm not common in that. Obviously, there are people who disagree with me. Yeah. But if you have a look at the scripts, you will see a huge volume of analgesia. Well, there's arthritis. We spoke about that earlier. You will see an enormous uh, uh, amount of digestive nexium and other other products. So you've got two or three core dry heart is obviously one, your diabetes. Uh, you've got 
some core categories which should inform that I've got customers coming for this condition. Now let's look at my condition. So if we look at the fact of diabetes, one of your favorite topics, yes, you may have NDSS in the shop, but you don't have a range. What's interesting about diabetes, which is never a category that I personally have have covered because of NDSS. When I went to Canada, when you look at a, a business, like shoppers drug when I was talking to them they said there is only one day that we drive so hard that it, it's more important than anything else and I said what is that day they said diabetes day yep. and I said now that's interesting that is not the case in Australia why is that so the answer was because we sell everything in our pharmacies for the diabetic and we see them as the most personally valuable customer we've got. So we throw everything around. But in my world, um, you would have a strong diabetes offer. Um, you had all these bits um, in your own business, uh, businesses drop, um, a weight offer, continence you didn't have, an enormous potential uh, not only for the young ones but for the elderly ones, a, a huge Area. So you've got these enclaves. So you look at your category and you say, what else goes with it? Diabetes, foot care, hmm. eye care, and so on. Um, and you go to those categories and you change your adjacencies and it suddenly becomes, and I'm not saying call hmm. it, there's a shop within a shop. Yeah. So because these categories are not mutually exclusive and I think that's, that's the key. So you look at your scripts. You've got to then look at your own passion and you've got to say, do I really get this? Do I want to get this? I mean, one of the passions you had and we shared um, was smoking um, as yeah. a category, but that was one of the categories I would no longer rem uh, recommend as a core category because it's not commercial enough, which gets the next point. Um, and yet uh, one of my most successful clients use smoking in an otherwise nearly bankrupt pharmacy in another state to position himself in this country town with all the health professionals, with the dentists, with the doctors, with um, the, the drug and alcohol advisors, with the uh, weight people, because there was often a, a co-problem about overweight, over uh, drinking and smoking. So he used that as a lever to get in. So he's the only one amongst 12 uh, pharmacies. He's still doing well. He's still got a higher net profit and gross profit and he's still got empty stores on either side of him. So hmm. in all areas, he should have fallen over ages ago, but he's been really focused. So the next point is to look at those passions and ideally make them more commercial. Yeah. You know, make them more commercial than so they're things like um I've just written a number, pain, uh gut health, continence, skin, yeah, you know, skin problems. One of the groups used to run a skin checking uh uh pro program, but only one pharmacy in thirty stores or forty stores who'd go once a month. Another group is doing checks on skin. But when you walk into the, these are nice initiatives, but they don't embrace a whole skin story. So yeah. if you were checking on my skin to see if the freckle needed to be looked at by a dermatologist, wouldn't you have thought that you also needed to have a very vibrant, strong, troubled skin category? Yeah. So... So th th there's that opportunity. So it's passion, it's commercial, and the space allocation, and losing the contaminants. Yeah. And, and, long, uh, uh, a long answer to your question. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. You know, there's, there's so many different aspects that, um, you know, we might just unpack a little a little further um, for, for our listeners because, look, ultimately everyone's story is very different. And, you know, as we talk a lot about on this show, every, every pharmacy owner knows their store and their community better than anyone, better than any supporting band, brand, buying group and so forth. And, uh, 
you know, often sometimes it's the most difficult thing to actually connect that community um, and the things that really matter in that community, whether it is a chronic health condition, uh, whether it's even a key purpose um, in that community um, because there's a speciality around it because of the nature of the work that gets done, whether it be a mining town in WA. Um, So there's a whole range of things that have to connect the pharmacy with the community. But I guess, you know, the the tools have never been more accessible to be able to weed out what we shouldn't have. And all those emotional uh, purchases that you've mentioned as well, whether it be giftware or other categories that really just are disconnected from the community, there's data now that we can find that can weed that out and say that the decision shouldn't be emotional anymore you can actually understand that at a very granular level um but in terms of where our listeners sorry that's all right sorry rob to interrupt you um i'm looking at some figures at the moment in front of me Uh, you've got to be a bit careful that the data that you get about your own business reflects what you're doing it doesn't reflect whether you're doing it well or not so if you look to your, you, I didn't mention the figures. Um, you go to your figures. I went to the dispensary, but I didn't look at the revenue because quite often the retail skills uh, and the store skills are so poor that the categories don't work as well as they should. Sorry, I just no, 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 that's fine. And and it all comes down to I guess what the data is. There's never been more data available, but whether it actually gives you that knowledgeable insight to in- institute some change. And so whether that whether that might be related purchases and and adjacencies. So often, you know, I've spoken to colleagues in the past who have been reluctant to remove cosmetics because they believe that it was so critical to their core customer and I guess the most loyal customers and the reason they were coming to the store and then you were able to access segmentation data through their loyalty platform that would demonstrate that it really wasn't that significant that the customers that were the most valuable to them really didn't care too much about buying cosmetics together with everything else that they were in the pharmacy so it makes the decision so much easier and and except that they would have said Robbie oh you don't have max factor anymore you know, and the owner would have said, oh, God, I've got to put it back in. <laughs> but I guess, you know, that's the emotional aspect of it as, as opposed to, you know, really following the, the data trail. And, you know, as you mentioned with the, with the dispensary, it, it sometimes is also the way we introduce that. And, you know, even what you were saying before about the, the storytelling aspect of that 20-second story to tease out the, what the re- remarkable solution would be around a particular core product Sometimes is how we go about it. I think, you know, we often, you know, try to, you know, because we aren't inherently great retailers and have great retail conversations ourselves, come across with, you know, okay, I have to sell this with this. So it's a bit like, would you like fries with that? As opposed to, you know, like you mentioned, an education around it and, you know, particularly the... You know, well, I'm glad you raised that because I'm, I'm really worried about this whole phobia about companion selling, even though... I have been guilty of it. I wrote a program called Expanding the Sale many years ago, used in Australia and New Zealand, in South Africa, where I was doing exactly that. I've subsequently realised that it doesn't do anything for the customer. You know, selling something that doesn't have clinical evidence that you don't absolutely believe in to somebody who may or may not need it um, because it seems to pigeonhole with that is not smart. The example we used earlier about the Indoor, when it's focused, there's only one winner and the winner there. The primary winner is the customer because what you've done when you've made that recommendation is you've enabled the customer, you've lived the customer value proposition of helping the customer get better quicker or managing the condition better. So you've given a piece of advice which is going to take, I'll take with me, even if I don't take all your offer because some of the offer is already in my in my cupboard at home. I will come back to you because you did that. That is the absolute offer uh, opposite of the transaction economy you were talking about yeah. earlier. Yeah. So, so it, it, whereas the expanding sale, if it were the on sale, if it works, but if you have a sale, sometimes my experience don't really like doing. They don't feel it. It's authentic, and they're right. It's not. Yeah. 
And and I guess where where most of our listeners might be, and you know, as we mentioned, some will be independent stores, some will be branded stores. And, you know, we've spoken about obviously getting clear about what your offer is going to be to your community and, you know, some great examples that you've mentioned. But I guess for particularly those who are part of buying groups and brands, how can they create this type of solution? Because we're all aware of the challenges that come with that, whether that be dictated planograms that are by brand, not by condition or by solution. And often that creates that dysfunction and disorganization we spoke about in our stores. But what would your recommendation be to them to, I guess, start that journey and, you know, get some assistance with that? Well, it's a, it's a, I was dreading the question, but I knew it would come up, um, Rob. There is unfortunately a significant disconnect in most groups and brands with um, health conditions um, uh, where the, the the decision is often made on deal rather than on need. And the, the same applies. I remember many years ago I was working, uh, in fact worked with and then worked for an old friend of the pharmacy industry, a magnificent retailer, I laughed, called Roger Corbett, who was the enemy of yeah. many, and he asked me to work in his garden centre when he was running Big W. And the same thing, uh, the planogrammers had not recognised the fact uh, that the fresh garden needed to be next to the, um, so the green part, the plants, needed to be next to the fertilisers. So I had to get them together and not recognise that this potassium didn't work, but they'd got a good deal on it. So there is a, a major issue of people getting out into the business and understanding what the needs are. So I think a good starting point would be to have a discussion with the brands to say these are the conditions we want to concentrate on. Yeah, This is where we think our future lies. How do you feel about that? Now, all brands have member meetings, have regional meetings, whatever. There's this top-down delivering it to you, um, to the brands that I think need to be discussed. We are swimming in dead stock. We don't know how to get rid of it. And I've just been told that I have to go into a situation where I concentrate on hero categories. I can't do that and still stock the Ajax. So what do you want me to do? Yeah. Um, so I think they've got to have a very direct conversation with the brand because it's not in the wholesaler's interest to be sending in the wrong stock because they're going to lose members and those members, God forbid, are going to fall over. I mean, the level of bankruptcies that I've seen in the last three years is probably 50-fold that I saw in the last 20. I, in the first 20 years I worked with pharmacy, I only knew of two people who had ever gone bankrupt. And both of them was position, you know, the wrong spot in a shopping centre, too much space, no customers getting there. So it was impossible for pharmacists to go. But now they've got to have this discussion and they've got to sit firmly and say, this is what we want to do and we would love the brand's ability to strengthen. So for whoever does the, the, the skin checks or the tummy checks or the bowel checks or whatever, now we want you to go and deepen that offer yeah. so that we could truly maximise from those skin checks into the troubled skin and stop putting it in three different spots around the store. I mean, the... Um, the group uh, that I don't think is any longer as a group, uh, when I said, I have just heard on the radio that you do skin checks, um, what is it about? Um, she said, well, I think uh, we have a pharmacist who comes. You make an appointment with the pharmacist. And I think she puts a skin thing, I'm quoting exactly, over your skin. I said, now how long, what is she using the skin thing to look for? Well, I'm not exactly sure. And I said, now how long, said I, in my probably most acerbic sarcasm, how long does it take for this thing uh, to go through about 20 minutes? Now, if 
she then made me. She said, oh, my God, you're Hillary, aren't you? I said, <laughs> I said, it was a mistake. And she said, you know who I am? I've known her for 30 years. She was the retail manager. Yeah. Um, now, she was one of your competitors' stores, actually. Yeah, um, I think I think uh, I know the one the one you're talking about, and you know, in that case, it, you know, it was being known for a range of health health conditions and health services um, across a, a whole network of stores. But I think I think my my take on that was certainly that you know you needed to deliver it in store all the time, not through 100%. a a travel a traveling uh, a travel a traveling pharmacist. And, um, you know, that's something that, you know, you, people get to know for. And I guess that's what we were talking about earlier in terms of committing to a strategy of differentiation is something that you probably can't be, you know, at the risk of offending our female listeners, um, half pregnant about. Um, it's something that you need to be all in. Yeah, you can't be half pregnant. And, and one of the big problems the pharmacy have is you'll turn around. A customer has an expectation of somebody being there. So if you're saying to me, you, I'm here for when you need me, well, good, I need you today. So when I arrive and find uh, the naturopath only works two half days a week or our weight specialist only three days a week, well, you're not there when I need you. So it's really a question of getting locked into what you're going to focus on looking at the commerciality and finding ways to generate the revenue that you need to get in order to pay and 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 doing it in properly i mean you you can't be half pregnant, Rob. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And, and and I guess that's the seriousness of where we are right now. Dispensary cannot hold up the profit of the business any further, and that all our retail space needs to be self sufficient and stand alone. I I know one of the stats we talk a lot about on the show is that if we actually did separate our business into, which I know you'll slap me over the wrist for mentioning that again, but if you were to separate the rent that we pay for the space that we dedicate to our dispensary versus that of a retail and also separate the sales into that space the retail the retail part of our businesses would have been uh, non-viable for a long period of time and it's only now that we're recognizing that well i've been calling it alien merchandise for 30 years you know what are you doing good businesses stick to their knitting i'd like to just for example, use a hardware example, if I may, Rob. Yeah. Um, in, 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 you know, when I um, first came into the retail, I did a lot of work with a group called Mitre 10 from the time it had 10 stores until the time it had 450. And then, of course, Bunnings came along and did the same discount thing um, to that industry as it has done in pharmacy. But... We used to, t they used to tint paint in the back room. Now, for me, the tinting, because it was messy. Now, the tinting of the paint was part of the category. In the pharmacist's case, they dispense the script in the back. That's part of the category. They would never have considered that that was a store where you did the messy stuff, but where the paintbrushes and the rollers and the tarpaulins and the mats and the ladders were, were and the decorator and the uh, colour advisory service and the online archives to match your colours, they were all the same business. They weren't separated, so they wouldn't have looked at the profitability only of the tinted paint. They would always have looked at the, total, uh, the profitability of the total category. I'm not trying to be revolutionary here. I'm going back to the basics. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, look, look, absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the one of the core basics of pharmacy, if we go back before PBS reform, before manufacturers, before brands, uh, was truly understanding our communities well enough to be able to compound the medicines that they required, whether it be for an off-the-shelf purchase or for a prescription medication. And uh, the business couldn't be viable without that line of connection and communication. 
Um, yeah. And certainly uh, the experience would have been very disconnected had they just decided that a colleague on the other side of the country was making something and they'd put it there and that people, like you say, I like that one, the alien merchandise, would be thinking, well, why is that there? Well, that doesn't make much sense to me. So, yeah, look, ultimately at the end of the day, we're all looking at our bottom lines and profit and whether the margins justify the investment and the change of strategy. But at the same time where our retail is quite dysfunctional, um, you know, at the moment, in order to get it out of dysfunction and make it functioning more relevant to our communities, uh, you know, any 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 seismic change and strat- strategic change needs to be looked at uh, a lot more seriously. But not just that. I mean, the because of the advent, I think, of the planograms, we've stopped training staff on how to retail. We do run training courses for them and how to make things look neat on shelves and how to front up and remove the dust. But we don't, our staff no longer understand whether it's better to vertically or horizontally stack, what adjacency is all about how you can make more money, the impact of space on shopping. So we've got this this general, this central planogram has now said, therefore you don't need to think about your store. Yeah. And it couldn't be further from the, from the truth because that's contributing. Yeah. Um, and that's where, 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 where I focus. I focus on, uh, on programs that help. Uh, the, the team understand what retail really has to be about in terms of their contribution and to these how to focus on these hero categories. Yeah, well, we certainly can't afford to be passive around it and outsource it to someone else to deliver us a blueprint. We need to be consciously thinking about that and uh, certainly connecting with uh, our community on it. And and Hillary, I always like asking towards the end of our chats is, um, you know, just taking our crystal ball out towards the future. What we're talking about here is, you know, I guess a revolution in terms of what our customers are going to see in pharmacy if we adopt the strategic differentiation that we're talking about. But what would it look like to you moving forward, you know, retail in a pharmacy business and, uh, you know, what are you looking most forward to? Well, I would love to walk into a pharmacy that screams out um, that its specialisations outside it, not about price, not about product. This is the place you come to look at your wounds. This is the place you come to, to worry about your sleep problem. This is the place. And I'd like to walk into there without it looking too expensive and upmarket. Often stores have been a monument to the owner's ego, I, I felt. I, I was looking at one the other day in a suburb of Melbourne on the other side of town that I'd seen 40 years ago and it still looked like a monument to his ego even though a couple of times uh, owners have changed but I'd like to see them very focused, very specific, specific and very driven around the pharmacist and the pharmacy skills because that is the business of the business. The business of the business is let me help you use what the doctors asked me to give you to get better. Yeah, no, look, absolutely right. And, you know, it's got to connect with the customer well enough to be able to, you know, give them something that, you know, is going to be more meaningful for them beyond simply a product because then it will create that emotional connection that uh, no doubt, as we've seen in a lot of it, in a lot of our pharmacies around Australia, connect families and communities to particular pharmacies over the journey and, uh, you know, really being able to deliver on that all the time. Hilary, it's been brilliant having you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your wealth of experience with our listeners. I know that they'll take a lot around it and hopefully start to change the shift that they focus their retail store and optimize it and customize it more so for their patients. And uh, we look forward to following your journey and inviting you back in the not too distant future. Can I have an afterthought? Sure. One afterthought. Um, at, at the risk of being more um, personal, yeah, I told you about my enderal. I also live on Nexium. Be careful when the community pharmacy charges me $11 more than the discount. You've got to do a lot of goodwill to compensate. So just go to their, their, their key sellers and be very careful that you're still relevant for the customer. All of this is not going to compensate to a customer who feels ripped off.
Absolutely. And uh, if we leave them feeling that way, uh, it's never going to have them walking back through our doors. So it's all about the basics. And, uh, you know, certainly price is one of those staples that our customers are expecting too. Okay, Rob. Well, thank you very much. And good luck with your fabulous show too. Fantastic. Thanks, Hilary. Well, I think we'd all agree that that conversation could have probably gone for two episodes, but we managed to squeeze it into one episode of transformation. So many things to learn, so many things to think differently about it. I loved Hillary's thought that we all look for the killer product, the killer technology, what's going to do it for our businesses. And we've spoken about so many times on this show, there's never one thing that's going to fundamentally transform your business entirely. And it could just be a killer thought. I know I haven't got into my three key learnings yet, but I will in a moment. But a killer thought is a really interesting thing to think about because it sometimes can be a small little shift in the way we view our stores that can make the biggest difference to us moving forward and everything just flows on from there. My three key learnings is Don't let your store be a monument to your ego or perhaps someone else's vision or allotment or category that they designed for a multiple number of stores right around the country. You have the choice. No one knows your business and your community better than you do. And really, don't let things like planograms get in the way. Have the conversations. They might be difficult ones to have to work out how you can work with your banner or your buying group if you're part of either or both um, and how that merchandise can be customized for your store. As we'll talk about in a moment, there's never been more tools and insights available to justify those decisions at a store level. So you really need to start having those conversations. And the second thing is you don't have two stores. We too often talk about our business as dispense and retail. And as Hillary pointed out, you know, talking about dispensaries, what we understand and retail was just alien merchandise, things that we just thought would sell. As there was a great example that we got into, which, uh, uh, you know, shared a personal example in the past working with a retail manager who loved going to gift fairs and would just bring back merchandise that really didn't connect with the health destination that we were trying to create. And really, it's that capability to be able to demonstrate that new thinking about what we want to do with our businesses, what really resonates with our community. Is it diabetes? Is it heart? Is it arthritis? What is it that we want to be known for? We talk about that a lot on the show and really dominating in perhaps only two or three things. So the challenge is to find those two or three things and build out that solution. In the case of diabetes, understanding what your customers need before they may contract diabetes with the hope that they can stay well and they don't progress down that path. But if they do, we know the clinical progression, we know the related services, whether it be feet, wound care, weights, all of the associated conditions that we need to be not only experts in, which is a great strength of ours in the clinical sense, but we need to also connect our merchandise. So there's no point specializing in diabetes by saying that, yes, as Hillary mentioned, we've got NDSS. Sure, that's one thing that a diabetic may need, but at the same time, they may also need other things. So can you educate them about cleaning them, getting the insights from their meters, connecting that with their doctors so you can share those insights to create a better healthcare solution. It can be endless when you think about the possibilities. And number three, there has never been a better time to do this. Um, A lot of the work that I had done with Hillary in the past, the thing that was the most difficult to do was to work out what were those key driving categories, products, solutions, conditions that really drove the community. Sure, anecdotally, you would hear a lot about it, but to get the insights from our data was often very, very haphazard and hard to do. And if you don't get that hard data right, as Hillary mentioned, you can fall into the trap of making really poor decisions. So it's really important that we utilize and harness that data to turn it into these key insights. As we've spoken about on the show, probably the best example I could point us to is episode 52 with Mike DeGama that allows us to not only geo-profile our community, but at the same time, and we've probably spoken about this even with uh, Adam Posner, it might have been 
episode 31. I'm testing my memory now, but I'll put a link in the show notes where you can utilize your transactional data to segment your customers by interest and also by condition if you choose. And certainly there's a lot of insights we can get from our dispensary data as well. But the great thing about all of that is it can tell us what we should specialize in We just need to get started and start becoming known as destinations rather than where we've been in the past is being everything to everyone and trying to sell absolutely everything, which we clearly can't do anymore for both profit and operational reasons. And that brings us to our transformation motivational quote of the week, which comes from Paul Naismith at PSA 2015 last weekend. And the quote is, It won't be the government that disrupts us, it'll be technology. And specifically, he was referencing Uber with that as well, which is clearly one of the greatest transformational stories, pardon the pun, particularly in the taxi industry. And if it can happen in that industry, which is highly regulated, it can happen to us. So we need to embrace it. And that's exactly what we do on this show. You wouldn't be here if you didn't believe that anyway. But if you know some colleagues that are struggling and they don't get it, put them in touch with The Transformation Show. Tell them to tune in next week. They won't be disappointed in what they hear, as you know yourself. Big show coming your way next week. I'm going to keep next week's guest as a surprise. As in the flood with all of the pharmacy technology questions we've been getting in the last few weeks, I've been rapidly sourcing some fantastic guests to come on the show, and I may actually want to change the order around. I'm not 100% set on it, so you will have to wait for next week, but you will not be disappointed. Not assuming that you have been disappointed, because this show has been an absolute ripper. If you've enjoyed it as much as I have, and no doubt you have, Please leave a comment in the show notes. I read and respond to everyone, and our guests like Hillary today are only too happy to answer your questions individually for you as well. And if you'd like to hear more from Hillary, we've got our masterclass coming up on Friday, the 4th of September at 12 pm, which you can register now at robertstar.com forward slash category builder webinar. It'd be absolutely brilliant. Have a great week, everyone, and I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Bye for now.